title of my message is One With You this morning. And uh, as I got before the Lord, um, I really felt Him impress upon me a passage of Scripture, which I'm going to read to you in just a minute, that almost 30 years ago, um, as a 15-year-old boy, I was talking to the Lord, and He revealed the Scripture to me and began speaking to me really profoundly from it. Um, and He reminded me of that process as I was praying last night. So we're going to jump in and take a look at it today. But first of all, I'm going to begin with a story, because I like stories. I don't know about you. Um, so we have a picture here, which I'm going to show you. That is the top of a range of mountains in Switzerland called Les Diablerets, which translated means the little devils. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know, about 12,000 feet. Uh, this here, you're seeing it, I think, actually in summer. There's, it's a glacier, so there's uh, it's permanent uh, snow and ice cap up there. But this is a place that I visited when I was about 14 or 15 years old. And one of the privileges that you have if you grow up as I did um, in England is that uh, continental Europe is pretty close to you. At one time, you could cross from England to France uh, for the sum of five pounds. So uh, that used to be about eight dollars. Now it's about six. Um, so for, for six bucks, you could travel from one country to the next. And so this is something that we often did growing up as kids. We wanted to go into um, continental Europe through into France, uh, maybe into Spain, Switzerland for our family vacations. It's funny, you know, a lot of people when I come to this country, they ask me about what it, what it is like in Ireland because there's a lot of Irish here. But I've never been to Ireland. Um, because Ireland, it doesn't cost $6 to get to. It's about $106. So given the choice, we would go over to France or wherever. But um, my family, my father in particular, was one who liked adventure. Um, he was always up for a challenge. He wanted to always pioneer. He wanted to do a new thing. Um, and I was one of four kids. And so there were many summer vacations when we would... Um, hear the alarm go at like four in the morning, and we would leap out of bed. My mother would be dragged out of bed, and then we would get dressed and get into our tiny station wagon, um, loaded up to the girls, and we would set out on a journey. We would drive through the south of England. We would get to um, uh, Dover, which is the closest point to France. It's a 26 mile uh, channel, so we just jump on a boat, it was pretty inexpensive, and we would sail across the open water, and then we would, we would uh, be there in Calais, get in our car, and we would drive along. So we used to really enjoy that, we used to kind of challenge ourselves to see how many obnoxious French people we could talk to before we got too frustrated. I, I got to about five or six on one occasion, um, and enjoy the culture of the country that we were in. And on one occasion, we had the privilege of doing a house swap with a family that lived in Switzerland. And it was at this time that we stayed in a, uh, a mountain chalet that they owned in the Les Diablerie range. And I had a real heart for adventure 
and I wanted to do something at this time that I'd never done before. And so I remember that I told my parents that I was going to rent a bicycle, a mountain bike, to travel up the pass of the Lady Abare Mountains. And uh, my parents, I guess a nod to my father's um, kind of empowering and pioneering spirit, were okay with this idea. Um, and so I rented this mountain bike and I got a map and I figured out how to get up the Lady Abare mountain range by bike. And uh, it took a long time. Um, let me tell you that. <laughs> and so I was there making my way up on this mountain bike. I, I planned beforeha uh, beforehand. A lot of preparation went into this. I made sure I was well hydrated. I had tons of water bottles. I ate a very large breakfast. And I took myself off because I was hungry for adventure. I wanted to do something that was different. I wanted to do something that was new. So up I traveled, up the mountain range. It peaked. The road actually took you to about 10,000 feet. And it probably took me about six hours to cycle all the way up there. And I stopped um, halfway up and I got lunch. And it was just gorgeous. The views were amazing. I could see, you know, there were people with the parachutes doing that kind of parasailing off the top of the mountain. And I made it up there. And I sat and had lunch and just looked over God's marvelous creation. I then set about to go back down the mountain. Um, so it took about six hours to get up and it took about 15 minutes to get back down again. <laughs> Um, be, and I will say this though, one thing I hadn't really foreseen is that the low quality mountain bike that I had rented was not really up for the grade of hills on the way down and from the kind of the switchback roads that they were. And so there was one point, it was a long, long steep descent and I was on this mountain bike and I was going faster and faster and faster and I began to pass cars as I was going down the hill. They were probably doing 30 or 40 miles an hour and I began to pass them, which is an awesome feeling for those of you who have never actually experienced it before. If you haven't passed a car on a bicycle, you haven't yet lived. And so I was just absolutely loving this. I was roaring down the mountain. I was passing cars, probably doing about 50 miles an hour. And then I heard in, the, in, in just in my peripheral kind of hearing, I, I heard this noise in the distance, kind of a whirring noise. And so I wondered what it was. And it was like, and it began to get louder and louder. And... As I, as I, as it became more present in my hearing, I realized it was a large group of sports bikes, motorcycles. And so I was doing about 50 miles an hour on this old rickety mountain bike. I was on a, on a steady sweeping left-hand turn. So in Switzerland and most of continental Europe, they drive on the right-hand side as they do here. So I was on... I was on the right side of the right lane, and then there was pretty much a sheer drop down the side of some probably hundreds, if not thousands of feet, that I was just charging around this corner as I was approaching it on my mountain bike. Now, in Europe at this time, and probably even to this day, people are not so concerned about some of the public safety things that people in America seem to be concerned about here. If you go charging off a cliff, it's your fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not the, municip uh, the city's fault or anything else that there wasn't a barrier there. You shouldn't have gone off the edge of the cliff. So there was no barrier there or anything. So this noise 
begins to get louder and louder. And it's like, and all of a sudden, as I am leaning into this bend at 50 miles an hour on this mountain bike, a group of about eight to 10, like sports bikes, these are the most powerful, fastest bikes that were available at the time, guys in full leathers come charging around the corner in the opposite direction, got to be doing at least 100 miles an hour. They apex the corner there and they come over the center line and they're coming right towards me, like 10 of them at 100 miles an hour. Now, they probably wouldn't have hit me. However, in the split second, I wasn't going to take the chance. And so I just made a slight adjustment to my steering, I went off the actual paved part of the road onto the gravel and like stones were flying up everywhere. There was clouds of dust and I began to skid and I just saw beneath me like trees kind of poking out and like a river miles below as I was zooming along on this rough ground, recognizing that my life was in my hands. Now, thankfully for me, my life was actually not entirely in my hands, but it was in somebody else's hands. And his pr hands are pretty good at carrying things. I applied my brakes. I actually slid off the bike. And it went kind of flying in front of me. Thankfully, it stayed on the road. And I ground to the halt as I heard out of my left ear now the sound of these motorcycles just going off into the distance. Jumped back on the bike, and I headed home. And that evening... As I was lying in bed, I was talking to God, and I was saying to God, my life as I knew it at that point, in terms of myself being a believer and living in the kingdom of God, was not what I wanted for it, for it to be. I felt like there was something more for me. I felt like there was something missing. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something more, and I'm, I'm seeking for adventure. I'm, I'm seeking for something which is more than what I have. And what would you have for me? What would you, God, say to me at this time? And I heard him say, open your Bible. And so I did. And I opened it to the book of John and chapter 14 and verse 11, and this is what I read. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live 
you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and that you are in me and I am in you. And right there and then, that started a journey in me of the exploration of what it is to be someone who is full of the Holy Spirit. This whole passage began because I think it was Thomas, one of the disciples, I don't recall, was asking Jesus about the Father, said, show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, I think it was Philip, says, Philip, don't you understand you've been with me all this time and you're asking about the Father? If you've seen me, if you've seen who I am, what I've done, what I've said, then you've seen the Father because I'm the image of the Father. What the Father is like is what I am like. And the reason that you have been able to do the things you've done and you've been the places that you've been is because you've been with the Father. Because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And he tells them right there and then about what is going to happen after he has been crucified. And he describes this this dynamic, which he is so excited about, and that we read that the patriarchs of old and even angels longed for, where there was going to be this change in the administration of covenants. And that no longer would you have to get to know the Father and experience what he's like by being physically present with a person, but that the spirit of that person, Jesus, was actually going to be poured into, indwell everybody who believed. And so there was going to be a totally different type of administration of empowerment and release of kingdom power when the Holy Spirit came. Which is why Jesus said, it's better if I go. And it's why he said the words, hey, you know what? Even greater things than I have done will you do. And that is what, as a 15-year-old boy, captivated me. And that promise of this type of power-filled life that Jesus gave to his disciples remains for everybody today. And we're going to look quickly at how it is that we can receive and, and be part of what Jesus has described here in this administration of the Holy Spirit, which is so different from what it was at his time. So how do we receive what Jesus has promised? We're going to look at three means of receiving what he's promised. Number one, kind of simple. Number one is we believe him. He said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Whoever believes in me will do these works. Let's talk about belief a little bit here. Now, a lot of people believed Jesus was in existence at this time. They actually believed he did the things that they saw him doing. But there is a belief that drives you to action and drives you to leave observation that Jesus is talking about here. It's not the type of belief that you get when you see something happen. You go, oh yeah, that happened. It is a belief that drives you to action and to trust. When I uh, moved into a new house as an 11-year-old boy, my dad, who was an uh, a avid 
kind of sailor and a nautical type of guy, he um, decided that he would build us this massive rope swing because we asked for a massive rope swing. And we had a tree, and it's an enormous tree in our backyard, and he figured out a way to, like with a system of pulleys and things, to get up into a branch about 50 feet high and to anchor this rope swing up there that we could swing on, much to my mother's dismay. And so I remember the first time that, that my dad did this. We kind of watched what was happening, and then I saw what he had produced. There was this kind of rope swing. There's like a, a wooden platform with, uh, it was like it was a giant swing. So you could hold it here, and we would stand on the platform, and we would like pump it, and then you could get this thing is about 50 feet high, so you could swing it, so you could probably get about 20 feet off the ground in either direction. Now, I never actually got to see exactly how my dad secured it in the tree. I didn't know what type of knots he used or anything like that, but one thing I did know is that my dad he knew his ropes and he knew his knots. And so it never concerned me. I never, I never thought to think about how this rope was secure because I knew my dad and I'd known of the course of my life. If he is going to secure something, it's going to be there forever. And so when I ran to that rope swing, I just jumped on and I got going. And every one of us four children swung like crazy on that rope for as long as we lived in that house, because that swing held. Why? Because I believed in a belief that resulted in action in what my father had done. I didn't just observe and say, there's a rope swing. That's nice. But my trust in my father was such that I could take action and I could actually partake of what he had done and be part of it and it changed my life <laughs> and the life of my siblings too. So to be able to receive what Jesus is talking about, we have to first believe him and a belief that results in action. The disciples knew when Jesus was talking to them about this that Jesus never came across a problem that he did not have a resolution for. Never happened. He never came across a question that he couldn't answer. He never came across a situation that he couldn't overcome. He was perfect theology. And so when he said to them, let me tell you what is going to happen. I am going to be crucified, but I will not leave you by yourself. I am going to send to you the paraclete, the helper, they knew that when he said that, they could trust him and act upon what he had said. And it leaves it for you and me to settle in ourselves that if this is who Jesus is and he has sent his spirit to be him inside of us, we can believe in what his spirit is sent for. So we're going to actually unpackage that and see what that looks like. But number one, to receive what Jesus promised here in John, we first have to believe 
him and what he said. So if we believe him, number two, we have to receive him. We have to receive him, and the him there is the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this. Um, Someone may want to give something to you, but it doesn't become yours until you receive it. We can all know about it, but it doesn't become ours until we receive it. Now, I'm going to make it, use an illustration here, which Diana may not thank me for, <laughs> and I haven't told her about it ahead of time. Um, but you'll see how it fits well what I'm about to explain. About two years ago, out of my love for Diana, I wanted to give her something on her birthday that, now she knows, <laughs> I wanted to give her something on her birthday that would be meaningful for her. But also, I wanted to give her something on her birthday that I knew she really needed and would really have an effect upon her. She had been working really hard. It was a difficult season of life. There'd been lots going on. There was lots of challenges. She hadn't taken time for herself. She's a, a, um, an extremely selfless person. She will always be quick to do things for others, whether it's me, her kids, or other people before she does something for herself. And so I decided I'm going to buy her a certificate for, to a spa day or something of that nature. So I went to the place just across the street here. I can't remember what it's called. It's, it's so long ago now. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I paid $200 for a gift certificate so she could go there, so that she could relax, so that she could be refreshed. She could get a massage, she could get a facial, whatever it is she wanted, because I knew how much that would mean to her and what a difference it would make. But one thing we both learned is that my, while I've given a gift, she doesn't experience the reality of that until she actually receives that gift. Because to this day, she hasn't actually gone to tranquility. <laughs> she hasn't had the benefit of being refreshed, of feeling those warm oils on the back, just easing out all that stress. And the feeling of being pampered so much and being transformed before her very eyes and feeling so special and feeling so revived and so fresh. But I may want to give the gift. In fact, it may already been there. But if it's not received, then there is no benefit. And that which it's given for, the purpose for which it is given, never has a chance to take effect. Yeah. The one great thing about this message is there's an actual real, tangible, measurable way of seeing if it's been received or not, if it's been listened to. We'll see what happens by next week. So, it's interesting that Jesus said to the disciples, wait in the city until you receive power from on high. Do you notice that so important was it, so essential to life, 
that the disciples who had been with, with Jesus doing all kinds of incredible crazy things, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, after Jesus left and they were waiting to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, they in fact they waited for it. They didn't carry on doing what they were doing. They knew that they needed what he was talking about. And they wouldn't dare try and keep doing what Jesus was doing without first receiving what he promised to them that they needed to receive. How much more so for you and I? Heck, I didn't walk around with Jesus. So, I need to receive and live in the fullness of what he's talking about. Um, let's talk a little bit about what that is that he was talking about. I'm, um, you know, it's hard to translate the term paraclete um, or helper. Um, so the, the, the language, and particularly the Aramaic um, that was written here to uh, this time is so, so much more expressive than just a singular English word that the translators struggled a little bit to capture this in, in one word. Um, so they came up with words like uh, helper, uh, advocate. Um, I, you know, I will, uh, so the NIV says advocate, but it, it's really much more than that um, some people use uh, the term and, des and describe it as like a defense attorney, one who can um, advocate on your behalf. But that, that's helpful in some ways, but it's incomplete. In the Aramaic, um, it's a slightly different extraction of the word paraclete, and it's a par paracleta. And it's made up of two words. The first word is parak, which means to end, finish, or to save. And then lighter, L-Y-T-A, means the curse. And so what it means is the Holy Spirit who is one, whilst Jesus saved us from our sins, the Holy Spirit is given that he would finish, that he would end, and to save us from all the fruits of the curse. So we could be delivered in every way from not just the punishment for our sins, but from the curse of our sins, from the inability to live in the fullness of fellowship with Jesus, for being excluded from the, from, from the, 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 the priesthood, for being excluded from being in close relationship. The Holy Spirit is one who puts an end to all of that. This very spirit of Jesus comes and resides inside you and I. And so when the disciples went and waited in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell on them, they knew what they were getting. And they went out from that place in a power and a purpose that they hadn't experienced even when they were with Jesus. There were times they doubted when they were with Jesus. There were times when they, were, when they didn't get what was going on. There were times when they were dull of understanding, when he was you know, with the woman at the well, and, and he was describing how he's ministering to this woman, and he says to them, I have bread that you know not of. And he's, he, they didn't get what he's talking about. They're like, who went and you know, got the bag of chips and gave him some? They, they, they didn't understand the spiritual language and the spiritual... Um, 
the spiritual arena that Jesus was operating in. But after receiving the Holy Spirit, you have these, these ordinary, unschooled men got before the Sanhedrin who were talking to the most learned individuals in the country, challenging them. And these men spoke with such um, authority and distinction and understanding that they belied who they were naturally. Why? Because this Holy Spirit of God was dwelling in them and releasing them from every possible um, application of the curse of sin and giving them every aspect of the personhood of Jesus living within them that they could operate in a way they couldn't even operate when they were on the earth with Jesus. So we have to receive him, actually receive him, so we can live with him in us and, and we can then number three so that we can release him. If we believe him, Jesus, we believe the sender, we believe what was said, we can receive him, the Holy Spirit. And then number three, we have to release him. You know, one of the reasons that Jesus said, and so he's speaking to a group of people, he says, you will do far more than I have ever done. Is because when the Holy Spirit is given, it enables us to truly have unity in the body as a whole in a way that there could not be well it was just Jesus. Now, we're on a journey towards that unity. Um, certainly, we are far away right now. But what God is calling for, and Jesus, and Jesus goes on to explain more about this in the subsequent chapters of John, what he prays is that the world would be able to see Jesus because they would see the love that the church has for one another, and they would see the unity that the church has. So I was talking with Scott Lundgren earlier uh, this week and a little bit about unity, and he gave the definition that unity is not just believing and thinking the same things, but unity is, is people all moving in the same direction. Now, the church right now, we're moving all, uh, universally, we're moving in a few different directions here. But if the Holy Spirit of God is inside us. It's one spirit. He's not divided. He's the same. As we yield to him, as we follow him, as we do his bidding, then because he's going in one direction, the whole church will, and this will happen, eventually we will all be going in one direction. Does that mean we all believe the same things? Does it mean we believe the same things about the Holy Spirit, about the end times, about this or that? No, probably not. But the entrance into the kingdom of God is not that we agree on a entire book of doctrine. Jesus just said, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you do that, you're in the kingdom of God. So let's focus on what we do agree on and let's go in the same direction and not get bent out of shape on some of the peripheral things that we do not agree on. But the Holy Spirit, if He's living in us in this way and He's filling us, He's powerful within, within us, He enables us to, as a corporate body, to be able to have a kind of unity 
that will not happen without him. And that is what the heart of God is for his church. How how does the Holy Spirit want to work in and through you? Do you know? Do you have dreams? Are you inspired towards producing something that comes when you pour the Holy Spirit out of you and you see Him work? What is it that you are called to? What do you desire to do? Are there dreams that you've had which have not yet been fully fulfilled? Are you someone who's longed maybe just to pray for the sick? Are you someone who's longed to produce something artistically? Are you someone who has a dream to produce something in the business world and you're pursuing it now? I would say to you today that the Holy Spirit wants to see your dreams come true and here's the way that they will come true. And what I would like to do now, if I could ask Ben to come back up and uh, just play and minister, um, I want to take some time and I just want to pray, and I want to pray for some specific people. So if you would stand with me right now, we're just going to take a few minutes and, and do that together. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to people that find themselves in some different situations, and so I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to call out some things that I see. And then we're going to have an opportunity for people to come forward and be prayed for um, by a prayer ministry team. And I would just want to pray for everybody else as well as we just wait on the Lord at this time. Thank you, Father. Mm. So I'm just going to, just let's wait on the Lord with our eyes closed. I'm just going to address a few things that I think the Lord wants to do. And then I'm going to pray for everybody. But I just feel like if there are some here that feel like this type of power and life in the Holy Spirit that we've described this morning, that it's not your experience yet and you want it to be, then you can have that and I will pray for you. You may be here this morning and you say, I have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, such as what happened in Acts. Then today is your day. But if you recognize that that fullness, that sense of having Jesus living within me, instructing, leading, teaching, it's not something which I really live in, then today you can enter into it in a powerful way. And I want to pray for a second group of people that you have had dreams, there have been things you've been hungering for for a long, long time, and they have not yet found their fruition. And particularly things that are to do with um, ministering and releasing God into the lives of other people. I want to pray for you today because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to bring a breakthrough and a release in those areas. So if you if you are, are mindful of any of any one of those things, I want to invite you to come up to the front now and we will pray for you and uh, as you come I'm just going to take some time and I'm just going to pray and release the Holy Spirit to the rest of us here this morning Father I'm just so aware that we all need 
your Holy Spirit. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to do what you've called us to do. We need your Holy Spirit in us, Lord, in a, in a profound and powerful way. We need to live the types of lives that we see your disciples living in the Bible. So, Father, I just pray for every one of us here today that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit right now, even now, Lord. Paul said, be continually filled or or be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I say right now, let us be filled again with the Holy Spirit. Bring your Spirit alive within us. Show us any obstacles that prevent Him from having a flow in our lives, Father, so that we can take those obstacles out of the way. Father, I just pray for a furthering of of vision within us here. I pray for a clarifying of of dreams, things that that we're living for, that you would make a way for all of us to outwork what you've called us to. Bring a clarifying. Be that Holy Spirit, be that teacher and that guide within each one of us that that instructs on the way that we must go, Father, so that we can go your way. And we say we will follow. When we hear you prompting, we will respond. We will do what you've asked us to do, Father. So I pray that now in Jesus' mighty name. And we receive your Holy Spirit afresh. Lord God, we receive your Holy Spirit.